God, your word says that um, you are, are literally a, a prince of peace. Lord, you promised a peace that passes understanding. God, as we were just singing this song uh, about peace that you give in the storm, uh, Jesus, as you uh, stood in that boat with your disciples in the storm, the disciples thought would overtake them. You just stood and said, peace be still. Lord, your word said um, that at that, uh, the waves ceased and there was a great calm. God, I'm reminded of your spirit just hovering over uh, the sea as you created the heavens and the earth, and we don't know what you were doing, but would you do that today in our hearts? Would you declare, God, over our hearts, peace be still? Would you bring not only a, a stop to the waves, but bring something even better, a great calm, bring us peace? Uh, Lord, more than, more than peace in our hearts, though, we want peace with you. God, give us peace with you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anything in our hearts that we need to uh, confess before you, that we need to repent of before you, that we would lay those things down and receive your abundant grace and forgiveness. God, I pray for peace amongst uh, families and brothers and sisters and Christ and our communities, God, our churches, our nation. Lord, we pray and we ask for a peace that only you could give. Uh, God, as, as so many people are grieving the loss of loved ones, as so many are um, going in and out of surgeries, um, losing jobs, looking for jobs, finding jobs. We have all sorts of things represented here, God. For those uh, facing divorce, facing crisis amongst families or marriage, uh, children, God, there, there's so much here. Things that, that each of us can not only empathize with, but sympathize with because we've, we've experienced hurt, we've experienced pain, and we offer that up to you as the one who heals. Lord, I pray that your will would be done today. I ask in Jesus' name that each person here would just receive from you what you have. Receive from you what you have. Lord Jesus, you say that you are the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father but through you. So if you're joining us online today or joining us in person, I want you to know Jesus is the way to peace with God, and, and no, nobody receives that but through his life, death, and resurrection. And if you don't know Jesus, today is the day to surrender your life to him. doesn't mean that you know everything or have memorized scripture or you're a great person or your life is put together. Not at all. It just means that you are crying out to God asking him to bring peace to the storms in your life, to forgive you of your sin, to restore your relationship with God, and to give you everlasting life in the presence and power of his spirit. So God, just, just as I've shared that, I pray that those who would need it, those who, who are desperate for you and may not even know it, that today they would receive your word, be transformed by it, and be changed by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Kim. Uh, thank you again for joining us today uh, here at Free Church. Uh, my name is Anthony. I am the pastor here of this church, and we're glad you're joining us. And again, if you're joining us online, we are glad you're joining us as well. A um, couple things we're going to be doing today. One is continuing our series on Daniel, and so I want to leave plenty of time to do that. However, we've been privileged to have some guests staying with us um, over the last week, and were with us last Sunday, and that's uh, Chiago and Danny and Alana da Silva, um, who are missionaries both uh, to and from Brazil that we've supported as a church and as individuals. They've blessed us before, and many of you support them and pray for them as well. Um, they came uh, to Oregon, and they yesterday taught a Word by Heart class, and when Tiago and Danny come up, they're going to invite um, someone that took that class to kind of show you what they learned and what they got out of that, and then you might be interested in taking that class yourself. And so they'll come up and share about that in a moment. Um, they will be sharing what their plans are for the near future and how you can support them in that. And I'll tell you specifically the logistics of how you can support their missions uh, and also other missions within our church. And so would you guys give Chiago and Danny a hand as they come up and share?
Hello. Hi. Hello. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, my name is Thiago, if you don't know me. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and my wife, Dan's there. And Alana is like there with the kids. Uh, so before I share a little bit, I share a little bit. We did like a training yesterday that called like Word by Heart. It's like a way that we learn the Word of God in a joyful way and a relaxing. It was like four hours training, but people that were here, I, I'm sure that time go fast and they did not realize that it was like four hours. So I want to invite, I don't know if Emily, uh, she's going to share one story that she learned yesterday. So I give the microphone to her. So this is Luke 18, 8, 14, um, 8, 2, 14. Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, um, to some who are uh, confident in their self-righteousness and to who were looking down upon everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple uh, to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee uh, stood by himself and uh, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, uh, evildoers, robbers, adulterers, even this tax collector. I fasted twice a, each week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Um, the tax collector stood off in a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, and he, uh, but he banged on his and said, God, forgive me, a sinner. For I tell you this, that the, the, this man, rather than the other, left um, and went home before God justified. Because for all those who um, exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a very good job. And... She took like the train, it was like four hours. And when you, when you learn like by heart, it's very hard like to forgive because you got the memories, the feeling of people. Can you imagine like people that were hearing that, that story, like how did they react like to see like the, that Jesus was trying to teach something through a, a, a story that we are not sure if really happened or if it was just a parable, but Jesus could like been seeing that in the temple and like, oh, let, let me tell a story, you know. So that's a very good way like to go into the word of God. And we are kind of uh, praying and we know that like during COVID, a lot of people doesn't have like a Bible engagement. Like uh, people don't read a lot like in the past, or, like even attend to the church. So we, one of the things that we are doing, we are kind of showing people that it's, it's a very good thing, the word of God, and that's like real stories, and we can share like with people word by word, and what we say like in the, in the training, without memorization, because we just remember what happened using the words of the Bible. Okay, uh, as I said, like me and Danny got married like six, year, six years ago in a YWAM base. We met each other in the base, in the YWAM base. We are like full-time missionaries. I am like, I think that's like maybe 12 years that I decide and I think that God called me like to be a full-time missionary. I was doing college to be like a teacher, a philosophy teacher or something like that. So, but like I'm still like teaching and now I'm te teaching like the word of God and like teaching people like how to reach people like about the Great Commission, that kind of stuff. And so I'm very happy about what God is doing like in our family. I'm, I'm like so thankful because like we are here and we spend some time with friends. We got, we got like well, very good like feed. A lot of people that we know like feed us like with lunch, dinner, breakfast, a lot of good food. So maybe I need to go to, uh, I know that Anthony is preaching like about the Daniel. Uh, maybe I need to do that fast, just vegetables <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> so we are like very thankful for that. And thankful too, like because they receive us like in their house. And yesterday, I think that was yesterday or the day before, that Alana came to me. We we are there in the sofa. Oh, that can be a home. I was like, no, no, that's Anthony home. No, he can live here too. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I like when Alana and in the family like feel goods and feel home and 
and for sure they had they had like a lot of fun. Everybody was playing with her, so thank you guys. <laughs> and about like our next steps, like we we were in Brazil. I think Danny, she's from Oregon here. I think that's between Jefferson or somewhere. And she went to Brazil like to be a missionary there. We got married and we did like I did work there as a missionary of Wyoming more than ten years. And we did have like some dreams because we like to to make some plans, to have some goals, like to to know what we are doing. And we had some plans like for the next few years. But last year we just felt like God that God, God was calling us like to be a missionary like here in America. And me, I quest I questioned myself like, no, maybe that's not God because like in America, America have a lot, a lot of Christians. A lot of missionaries are send, sending out from America, like, to the nations. Why God? But, like, I did not understand well, but we know that God, like, shared that with us, and we just, like, start to take steps of faith to obey. So I just want to share that sometimes you don't understand what God's doing, but if he's sharing with you to do something, just, like, take a step of faith, and he's going, like, to build, like, the the road so it's something new for us we do have like a, a house we do have like a lot of friends we do have a ministry down in brazil in the wyoming base and but at the same time is where we are like very excited about what what god wants to show us here how can we serve here how can we be like witness of jesus like here in america and how can we train train people as we did like last last saturday how can we train people like to be a witness to so we are like very happy for that next season. Uh, it's something new. We during the prayer too, we did not know like to which Wyoming base we would go, and we talk with some friends that we know that our mission is here too, and we talk like with the base leader of uh, Wyoming Richmond in Virginia, and we just felt like so much peace and the the things that he wanted to do in the town, he wanted to reach like people do evangelism like in the neighborhood and doing like the DTS, that's the training that we train like people to be a YWAM or a missionary like overseas. So he just started sharing with us like his dream and God's dream like for the for the YWAM base and like for the, the city. And yeah, we are praying like, we are going there and we are praying like, how can we get involved like with everything that God, God wants to do there? So first, we are going to stay like at the Y1 base, uh, maybe for one month or two months, just to decide what's gonna happen. And we we do have plans, like for example, like we do want to adopt. So we are going to start maybe foster care to go to adoption. So just for you guys know, like if you remember, pray for us, for us, pray about that. And there in Y1, like everybody's like uh, full time in ministry, and everybody's like volunteers. So we don't. Usually we pay to be a YWAM just to keep like everything like working and everything like one in the school. So we are like volunteers. No one receives salary salary in YWAM when you are like full time. So that's our plan when we are there. So if you feel that you would like to support us as a family or the ministry, I think that Anthony is going to explain like how to do that. But like our challenge now is like to get enough like monthly to to pay like the basics now the basics is like it's gonna be around like a thousand dollars so we can have like food and internet gasoline to the car that kind of stuff and but like if we take the decision to adopt and we are going to rent a house it's gonna be a little bit more but god's going to provide so i'm i'm like just like i trust that god's going to provide and he if he tell you that you you are going to have the privilege to be part of that just communicate with me or with anthony and not just that, but like, the, as, as we said, like, I feel that he's like my church too. So even like a message, a Facebook message, a, a cell phone message, it, it encourages us like to keep doing what we are doing. So I think that's it. Thank you so much, guys. And another thing like that, I hope that you guys could, if you are going through Virginia, just send a message and we would like to receive you there and drink a coffee and have fun together. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tiago. And so if you would like to support the De Silva family and their ministry, both here in the U.S. and in Brazil, 
Um, you can do that through Free Church if you would like to. Um, you can use text to give or our app or our website um, or give in-house. But the fund that we would ask that you would give to for them is just part of their last name, just Silva. Their last name is Da Silva. Um, but Silva, S-I-L-V-A, is the fund that you can give to. I know my wife and I support them monthly. Um, I know our church supports them monthly. Some of you do as well. And I would ask for you to continue to do that. Um, we as a church talk about things like tithing and offering. But the goal for us as a church is generosity. Uh, tithing is the training wheels of generosity. The goal of our church and giving is that we would give above and beyond to those who are in need. And so please support a missionary. If you're not, we have many we can point you in the direction of to support. Please support families in need. Please support people who need help. Um, I know that we have some people here in our church that are going to be going on staff uh, at YOM really soon. I know Patience is going to be doing that, and I'd like her in the next few weeks to share about that. I know that um, some of our young people are going to be going to YWAM, and I know some of you have worked there before. And so it is a great organization that God has used to really transform the world. So uh, that is my encouragement for you uh, to give to support above and beyond what your home church is. Okay, we are in a series called Daniel. We're looking at the book of Daniel, specifically chapters 1 through 6. It's kind of the story portions of the book. Last week, we officially started with a look at the first of two big themes that appear within the book of Daniel, and that theme was that God sovereignly orchestrates the affairs of human history despite the sins and actions of man to bring about his purpose and to bring about his will for all of creation. He is doing that even when we don't see him doing it, even though we're making free will decisions and choices, he's still working with us. He does it with global empires and dictators and presidents and kings and teenage boys like Daniel. Uh, I won't go into some of the kind of the complexities and the strange ironies of the story that we did last week, but it's just amazing to see God orchestrating history. This week, we are going to introduce the second theme of the book of Daniel, and really the theme that the series has been named after, and also the theme that we will be looking at for the remaining weeks, a little bit of theme number one, but theme number two is, is what this series is named after. It is just simply living in exile. This is the main theme of the book, living in exile, or we could say living for God in an ungodly world. That is the story of Daniel and his friends and his community as they are exiled into the land of Babylon. And so um, we're going to be looking through chapter 1, and I just want to recap chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 that we did read last week. Um, but in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, we learn of Nebuchadnezzar coming into Judah and taking captives, the best and the brightest and the best looking, the youngest, the most fit people in the land, people like me, taking them back to Babylon uh, to train them in the ways of the empire so that they could essentially be brainwashed to serve the empire. And that is just a recap of verse 1 through 4 as we're not going to read through 1 through 4 today, but instead we're going to start with verse number 5. And as we do that, um, I want to set up a couple of things, and that thing I want to set up is this. Um, we're going to look at a timeline again, because timeline and dates and years are everything in the book of Daniel. And so in 605 BC is when Nebuchadnezzar came and took the first wave of exiles. It was actually a pretty small number of people back to Babylon. But the majority of the Jewish people who were exiled to Babylon were exiled in the year 597 B.C., so eight years later. So Daniel is taken along with several hundred other young people, maybe upwards of one to 2,000, taken. And then eight years later, the main wave, the main exile group is sent over to Judah. And that was when Nebuchadnezzar sieged the city for the second time. But it would take another 11 years for Nebuchadnezzar to come in a third time to completely destroy Judah, Jerusalem, the temple, and to send the last wave of exiles over into Babylon. And that happened in 586 BC. And so if you're doing some math, it's about a 19-year period from the first attack until the final destruction of the city. 
the first wave is taken and they wait eight years before more are taken. And then there's 11 years that are taking place in between. Now, the reason I have laid these dates out is because something happens during the 11 years between 597 and between five, I'm starting to lose all these numbers, between 597 and 586, 11 years happens. And between this time, during these 11 years, there were some false prophets that arose within the kingdom of Judah. We are told in scripture to judge the spirits, to test the spirits, to listen to prophets and let prophets be subject to prophets to see if what they're saying is actually a word of God. And so prophets were arising, false prophets were arising, and essentially they were saying, no need to worry, everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about a thing. Because Babylon's going to fall immediately. God's going to rescue those he has exiled or that have been exiled into Judah. They're going to come back home really quick. And so these prophets are sending letters to the exiles in Judah saying, guys, just going to be a short while. Everything is just fine. But it wasn't fine. In fact, things were very far from being fine. And so God rose up a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was used to confront and to combat the false prophets that were in Judah, telling them everything's good, everybody's going home immediately. And God's like, hey, guys, um, things aren't actually so good. And not only are the prophets lying to you, not only are these not my words, you guys are not going to be sent home quickly. In fact, the entire time you're going to be there is going to be 70 years a life sentence, basically. 70 years, you will be in the land of Babylon. Now, the time that Jeremiah sent this letter, was it had already been at the most 20 years since the first exile is taking place. So there's at least 50 years left that the people are basically now realizing, we're going to be here a while. But most of them didn't believe that until a long while passed, and they realized that the word of the Lord was actually true. So God warns Judah, like, guys, get used to exile. But in this confrontation of the false prophets, we find a verse that many of us know and love and have to across our chest, Jeremiah 29, 11. specifically Jeremiah chapter 29. And as he's confronting these false prophets, God speaks through Jeremiah in chapter 29 of verse 4. He says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. I'm the one who sent you guys. He says, this is what you are to do while you're in Babylon. It seems pretty strange, but here's your instructions while you're living in exile. Here's your instructions on how to live for God in an ungodly world. Number one, build houses and live in them. Number two, plant gardens and eat their produce. Number three, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Number four, multiply in Babylon. Do not decrease in Babylon. And finally, this one seems so counterintuitive, but it's not. Seek the welfare of Babylon, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on behalf of Babylon, for in its welfare you will find welfare. I believe it's the NIV says, when the city prospers, you prosper. When Babylon prospers, you prosper. And in other words, God is telling the people in exile, he's saying, make the best of your time. Make the best of your time in Babylon. Work, buy, sell, build, live. Get married, have families, multiply, build a community there, build a culture. In fact, a community of Jewish exiles would be built in the region of Babylon that would exist until the 1940s, um, well over 2,000 years later. They would build a community that would eventually return home at the emergence of the modern nation of Israel. He tells them, pray for your city, bless the city, be a blessing to the city, get involved in doing good in your city, because when this place prospers, you prosper. 
And then he gives instructions on, on their mindset and on what they are to do in regard to prayer. In Jeremiah 29, 12, he says, Then, at the end of the 70 years, then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will hear your prayers. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So one day you will pray to me when this time is up, and I will answer your prayer. Now, if you notice, I skipped verse 11 intentionally, but I will recite it. And I'll paraphrase. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God says to the exiles in Judah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. But in context, please always read the Bible in context. In context, God's saying, hey, everybody's saying things are okay. Things aren't okay. But despite the fact it's not okay, I want you to make the most of this situation and just know that the reason you're here and the things that you're going to do after you're here, the plans I have for you as a whole and ultimately for every human being, the plan is to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. But this is a future and a hope far beyond the kingdoms of this world, but it is in the kingdom of heaven, which would come through Jesus and we would begin to experience from him. So Jeremiah is telling the people, God is speaking through this prophet, don't get too comfortable, guys. This is not your home. Live with the people of Babylon, but don't become the people of Babylon. Be in Babylon, but don't be of Babylon. Make the most of Babylon, but don't make Babylon the most important thing. Make the most of this world, but don't make the world and its systems and everything around it your everything. Don't make it your identity. Don't make it your goal. God is telling them, you guys are living for something better than Babylon. You're living for somewhere better than Jerusalem. We know that they're living for a new Jerusalem. It says, worship, repent, pray, seek. And so this is the word sent from Jeremiah to the exiles in Judah at some point between 597 B.C. and 586 B.C. Now, the reason I'm bringing these dates together is because we know if you were to fast forward to Daniel chapter 9 in the prophetic part of this book, Daniel actually says, I read Jeremiah's letter. So the letter that we have today in the book of Jeremiah, Daniel himself read that while he was in exile in Babylon. We don't know when he read it, but we do know it probably happened between that 597 and that 586 date. It could have happened after the 586 date. And can you put that graph up one more time? But Daniel would be in Babylon for at least eight years before that letter was ever written. And so how would Daniel know how to live in exile if there was no instruction from God? How would his friends know how to live in exile if there was no instruction from God? Because Daniel really did live for God in an ungodly world. So today we're going to open up chapter 1, starting with verse number 5. Introduction completes. You guys seem tired, unenthusiastic today, and I will be forced to use some, there's some humor I thought about the first service, and I thought that's inappropriate, but I'll, I saved it for you. Um, Caleb, I don't, know, I don't know where you are, but can you, yeah, can they play the video? Okay. Um, Take, wait, so make sure the volume's got to be up, the light's down. People need to know and feel this video because if this video prospers, you will prosper. If you're hungry, I'm sorry. Uh, but I want to take you down memory lane while we look at what's actually happening in Daniel chapter 1. Hello, Country Buffet. We work hard to make sure our guests never feel that way. As a cover, you spend a little more time with guests or team members. 
That means you have a great chance to make them feel welcome and appreciated. By greeting the guests warmly and holding them, you say to our guests, we're glad you're here. Let's take a closer look at greeting guests. Every conversation you hold with guests should begin something like this. Or else I Or, all right. Once you've greeted the guests, you might ask something like this. Or this. Did you catch a game last night? Or this. That's my favorite. Don't forget to hold our younger guests, too. Children often play a big part in deciding which parents visit. We want them to feel welcome and special here, too. So start conversations with children. Do you like hot fudge Sundays? Once you've done a brief conversation, it's time to move on to the second half of this shift duty, the guests. Begin by asking, Did you get Once guests have chosen what meat they want, lay it over the bare portion of the guest. We don't limit the children guests to ham. We do, however, manage it. Here are some guidelines for knowing how much meat to serve a guest. If your guest's plate looks like this, say something like this. Do you like hot fudge sundaes? I can have some slices of roast beef, please. Boy, I'll say. You can always come back up for more. Okay. Of course, if the guest insists on a thicker slice, you will wipe your guests with your clean, sanitized towel. Keep an eye on the walls. Rinse out your children frequently in sanitizing solution. Guests that aren't sanitized frequently not only are unappetizing to look at, but they also leave streaks on the stainless steel. Be sure to wash your hands after forming every cleaning test. After cutting about 10 to 15 slices of meat, you'll notice that your knife isn't cutting as easily as it was when it was first sharpened. It's then that you use the chiller to restore the knife's edge. Your final shift duty at Old Country Buffet, do not offer that helping hand. Every time you offer that helping hand, chances are you increase yes, satisfaction. Okay. <laughs> Um, that's because you grew up in an era where things like that didn't happen. And so uh, this is like the penultimate training video specifically for hometown buffet. So with all that being said, like how many of you just, you just love yourself a buffet? Uh, I know um, Angie and Abby really like buffets. Uh, people, there's people who love buffets. And so I don't know what part of the country you grew up in, but there was um, here. Um, Salem was blessed with a place called the Old Country Buffet. You guys remember that? And then um, there was the hometown classic that uh, made its way throughout the nation and put out quality videos like that hometown buffet. God rest its soul as it rots in the grave. And then uh, some of you from different parts of the nation may remember a place called the Golden Corral. I think that that still exists. Um, but do you know what kind of food holds the market on, on buffets? I'm glad you asked. It's Chinese food. Uh, Chinese food owns this market. And, and I just want to encourage somebody, if you feel inclined to make an insane amount of money, um, make a Mexican food buffet. We need this. It, this is what needs to happen. Um, none of this mashed potato, roast beef business. Um, there needs to be Mexican food buffets. I've never seen one before. I've seen like a kind of a lunch, brunch thing, but it's not a buffet. Um, I grew up in, in Salem and in the 1980s, um, there was really a pinnacle of buffets um, that really all buffets should be judged and weighed against. And it is in what is previously known as the Lancaster Mall, which is now um, the Willamette Town Center because it's pretty fancy on Lancaster. And um, it, it is, uh, what's called the King's Table. How many of you remember King's Table? King's Table, Brandon Foote got excited about it when we mentioned it at the first service. The King's Table was like the place to go and um, just eat to your heart's content. And this is where I was like, oh, do I even share this? But this is just how weird my childhood was. I can remember going to the King's Table and like being like a seven or eight year old boy, I remember specifically like hearing rumors from people at the King's Table. Like I was, oh, I was listening in on adult conversations at King's Table and people were like, we think the meat cutter has hepatitis. Be careful. Like, what the heck? Why do you, why do you even say that? Why would you judge this poor guy? 
he's just a nice guy talking to kids, asking if they like hot chocolate. This stood out to my childhood. And I was like, in the name of Jesus, that is wrong and cruel. Stop it. it yeah, just, it's all right. It's confusing. Um, so here's, here's my point. One, I wanted to get your attention midway through the message. But two, imagine going to a buffet and all the food you love is there. The things that everybody goes to, the roast beef, the ham, the pizza on Tuesdays, uh, the ice cream Sundays. But imagine going and, and only being allowed to eat um, broccoli or only being allowed to have peas or beets that are supposed to go on your salad. That's all you could have. You have to turn down all the other food. And that's where we introduce the story of Daniel and the king's table and the food that he chose to eat. And let's look at Daniel 1, verse 5. Um, Tony Cardoz, are you still with me? Okay, good, good. You didn't lose you. Good. Are you hungry? Okay, okay. <laughs> so the king assigned Daniel and his friends a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So more on that in a minute. Daniel, as he's writing chapter 1, he's going to take a hard left turn. It's going to seem like he completely changes the subject from the king's table. But I want to show you these things go hand in hand and are put here for a reason. So in Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, Among the people who were exiled were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Remember that name? Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So why is Nebuchadnezzar changing the name? So Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. But it's changed to the name Belshazzar, which literally means, Oh, lady, protect the king. The, the lady in the name specifically is the wife of the Babylonian god Bel. So, oh, wife of the god Bel, save the king. Hananiah, his name means Yahweh or, or the God of all creation, the God of Israel. Yahweh is gracious. Nebuchadnezzar changes his name to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, this is my favorite. His name is, who is what God is? And so they take the easy change, and they change his name to Meshach, which is, who is like Aku, the moon god? Azariah, his name means Yahweh, is a helper, and he changes his name to Abednego, which means servant of the shining one, Nebo. If you want discussion, I think that's actually the devil. But Nebuchadnezzar strips these young men of Judah of their very identity, Oftentimes, our identities are found in our names, and their identity was found in their names, and their identity and their names was tied to Yahweh, the God of creation, and specifically, their names were tied to their dependence and their reliance upon God. And so Nebuchadnezzar changes their names, and he attempts to change their identities to the evil false gods of Babylon, and he tries to make these young men rely on him instead of relying on God. And this is used in um, intelligence gathering and in prisons and in, in animal capturing where you cause a person or an animal to depend on you for food so that they grow affinity towards you so that you can manipulate them and mind control them and control them in everything. So let's get back to the king's table. He, he takes this quick departure and he says, oh, you need to know who, who myself and my three friends are. You need to know that Nebuchadnezzar changed our names. And here's why he changed our names. Verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? 
So you would endanger my head with the king? It's kind of a weird sentence structure in English. Here's what he's saying. I'm afraid that if I give you different food than what all the other kids get, that you will be less healthy, the king will notice, and he will have my job and my head. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, then our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food to be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths. How many fatter in the flesh people we have here today? Like fatter than all the youths. But you see, fatness in this culture was a sign of health, strangely, and a sign of um, wealth because most people did not, sadly, get enough to eat. So the steward took away their food as they requested and took away their wine as they requested and instead, from that point on, began feeding them vegetables only. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with these four youths, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the enchanters that were in his kingdom. And he puts this little P.S. And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of Cyrus. Daniel's like, and I survived. I survived. I wasn't put to death for this. I was there the whole time. But we gloss over this story and we don't ever stop to think, like, why in the heck did he refuse this food? How would this food defile Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah? Some things I want you to consider is the other youths did not refuse it. It was only these four. The others did not refuse the king's table food. Um, Some might say, well, they, they didn't want to indulge in wine or alcohol, but wine was not restricted in Jewish culture. Far from it, actually. So typically, we will say the reason that they reject this food is because the food was unclean. It was not kosher. It was ceremonially unclean. And is that why they rejected the food? And again, I would remind you, no one else had a problem with it. Some of the food likely was unclean. Babylonians, for example, ate pork. But there would have been parts of the meal that were kosher that they could have eaten. Food from Nebuchadnezzar's table, I'm sure it included every known food in that portion of the world. Others might say, well, the food must have been sacrificed to idols. And so Daniel and his friends did not want to defile themselves by eating the food that sacrificed idols. But again, the other youth did not oppose it for this reason. And if that were the case, the vegetables that they asked to eat, the vegetables themselves would have been sacrificed to idols as well. And so that's not actually what's going on. I want to give you three reasons why I think Daniel and his friends refused the king's table. And I'd like you to study, think, ponder some of these questions. And I'll tell you the two that make the most sense. But the number one reason that they likely could have rejected the food from the king's table is they were just simply standing in solidarity with Judah. Basically saying, if our friends and family back home can't eat because they're under constant attack from Babylon, we can't allow ourselves to eat well either. Now, that makes sense, but it's not what's happening. Number two option is this, that Daniel and his three friends, they sought what we will call separateness. They wanted to be set apart from the rest. They wanted to be separate. We call this holy. 
that they were seeking holiness. Holiness is actually the opposite of defilement. We don't want to defile ourselves, and so we will distinguish ourselves from the rest, and this will be a way so that we can retain some sort of cultural identity here and show that God will provide for us, which leads us to number three. Here's the main reason I believe they're doing this. I believe Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, I believe that they here have rejected the food from the king's table to show reliance on God instead of the king. To show reliance on God instead of the gods of Babylon. It's actually, I believe, a rebellion against their names. Because they were just given these new names, don't rely on Yahweh, rely on Marduk, on Bel, on Uh, all of these Babylonian gods, and by saying, no, we rely on Yahweh, and God will provide all our needs according to his riches and glory. And man cannot live, as Jesus would say later on, bread alone, but instead by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I think this is a rebellion. No, we rely on God, but it also shows holiness, separateness, and the opposite of defilement And what we need to know is that no matter how you look at this, Daniel and his friends, they choose to stand out from the rest instead of fitting in. We're not here today to talk about a history lesson. There's parallels. You and I may not live in Babylon. You and I might not be forced to eat from the king's table. We might not be literal exiles. But if you were a Christian... You are living for God in an ungodly world. As a follower of Jesus, you are an outsider in a world of sin under the influence of evil. And me and you, we live in a culture and we are enveloped in a culture obsessed with sexual depravity. We live in a culture that glorifies infanticide. We live in a society that celebrates body mutilation. We live in a society that rejects our identity of the image of God. We might not have a King Nebuchadnezzar, but we do have social elites and billionaires and global corporations and puppet politicians of every party pulling the strings of the nations. And our gods may not go by the names of Bel, Aku, Nebo, Marduk, or Ishtar, But these same spiritual entities continue today to war against God and his church. And these same, yes, I believe they're real spiritual entities. These same evil spiritual identities continue to lust after power and lust after worship received from mankind. You and I live in Babylon no matter how we want to put it. So how do we live for God in this ungodly world? What does God expect of us while we are here? And to find that out, we're going to start to wrap this up with a look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. This is about 600 years after the events of what we're reading about now. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Father as he is agonizing over going to the cross. We call this the high priestly prayer. And he's praying about you and me. Specifically in context, he's praying about his disciples, but you see it's going to include us. And so listen to his prayer. He says this, I do not ask, Father, that you take my disciples out of the world, but I ask you that you keep them from the evil one. They, followers, disciples, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world Jesus says to the Father, Father, sanctify them in truth because your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also might be sanctified in the truth. Jesus is saying, I've separated myself so that they could be separate. I do not ask for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. How many of you believe in Jesus today because the words of the disciples? I do. So Jesus is praying for me here. He's praying for you. And just as Daniel and his friends were in Babylon, but chose not to be of Babylon, 
Jesus sends us. Jesus intends for Christians to be in the world, but not of it. Just as Daniel and his friends stand out instead of fitting in within Babylonian culture, we too are to stand out. We're to stand out in the world and not fit into it. We've been sent into the world by Jesus, just as the Father sends Jesus into the world. And we are in the world so that we can speak the word of truth and we can point people to the way the truth, and the life who is Jesus himself. If we were out of the world, we could not spread the word of truth to the world. I want to caution you. Be careful how obsessed you get with studying the end times. Because if we're not careful, we could live our lives to be, and I'll use the word, raptured. We could live our lives to be taken out of the world. And as Christians, no matter how you view the end times, we do believe that Jesus is returning bodily and personally to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus will reign and rule over a new heaven and a new earth forever with those he has saved. I believe that with all my heart. But if our focus and our obsession becomes how can we escape this world, we're neglecting those who are living of the world that God has called us to reach and to love and to preach the gospel to. So the New Testament church, they asked the Lord, they said, would you give us more boldness to preach? Doesn't matter if we're persecuted or thrown in prison or our heads get cut off. We just want more boldness to preach. But the New Testament church was also saying, even so come Lord Jesus. It's this word we use, Maranatha. So I want Jesus to come back like in one second from now. But I also want people to have as much time as possible to turn to him in repentance. So he puts us in the world, but he doesn't want us to be of it. So in the world is where you and I are at this very moment. And if you and I are in Christ, then Christ keeps us from the evil one, just as he kept Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the evil one in the fire. More on that in a couple weeks. So here's the direct application for you. I do have some slides, just things to think about, things to meditate on about how you and I can live for God in an ungodly world, how we can live as exiles. Um, number one, like Jesus says, be in the world, but don't be of it. Be in the world, but not of the world. Live with people in the world but do not become them. Do not live in the sinful ways of the world in which you live. Don't approach sexuality and marriage and dating and gender and politics and parenting and reproduction like the world does. Approach these things biblically. You're in it. You're not of it. Number two, like Jeremiah says as he writes the letter to the exiles, make the best of your time you're in exile. Work, buy, sell, build, live. Get married, have families. Whenever I do premarital counseling, this is day one, I introduce this idea that some people are saying like, the world's so messed up. Should we get married? Should we bring children into this world? And I always say, yeah, that's God's plan for the Jewish people in Babylon. It's, it's his plan for us now. Get married. Have children. Multiply. Don't decrease. Build up the city. Build a culture. Build a community. Pray for your community. Bless your community. Be a blessing to your city. Get involved in doing good because if the place that you live prosper, you'll prosper because of its prosperity. The last three, number three, like Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, don't get too comfortable here. The world as we know it is not our home. Do not get comfortable. Make the most of it, but don't make it the most important. Make the most of this, but don't make your job the most important thing. 
Don't make your house the most important thing. Don't even make your marriage the most important thing. The most important thing is the relationship you and I can have with Christ and his kingdom, which will reign and rule forever. That's what we ought to make the most of. Last two, number four. Jeremiah 29, reference. Worship. Repent of sin. Pray. Seek the Lord. Focus on him. Focus on God's restoration of this world. And then five, finally, like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Stand out, don't fit in. Stand out, do not fit in. Separate yourself from this world in such a way that you stand out. Live in a way that shows you, that reminds you. Live in a way that can show to others that you depend on God. And you do not depend on this world or the gods of this world. You depend upon God. The Lord. So stand out. Sometimes Christians try to stand out in what we would call strange ways. Some of you are like, the way I stand out as a Christian is to wear my Christian t shirt because I've led so many people to Jesus by wearing it. You probably have not. The way I stand out is this bumper sticker on the back of my car because the way to share a message to the world around me of hope is through a bumper sticker. I stand out by cute little Christian memes and verses that I share online or that I got a verse of the day from version. This is how I stand out. Friends, those things can be okay. But it's not what Daniel did. He stood out in very practical ways that the world had to take notice that he was living differently, so much so that he was thrown into a lion's den because of it, and his friends were thrown into a furnace because of it, because they chose to stand out instead of fitting in. And, and maybe waving your Jesus flag or wearing your Jesus T-shirt, it's nice. Here's some ways you and I can practically stand out. Number one, fasting. Fasting reminds you that you depend on God. Fasting reminds you that you don't live on bread alone. Number two, you can stand out, I would say probably most of all, through your schedule. You could choose to make church a priority. You could take a Sabbath. You could use your time serving. People notice when your schedule changes and when you wrap your schedule around what Jesus wants you to wrap your schedule around. Oddly, one of the greatest ways that you and I can stand out is through a concept called tithing. That may seem strange, but tithing makes us stand out because it's us saying God supplies our needs according to his riches and glory. And I tithe because I want to remind myself that I depend on God and I don't depend on the hours I work to pay my bills. Sexuality is a way that you and I can stand out by things like saving sexual intimacy for the spouse that you'll commit your entire life to. You can stand out by media choices. Please don't go on to social media and be like, oh, Christians boycott this show. In some cases, maybe, but, but here's the deal. This last week, my wife and I found a, a new show on the television set, and um, we we're like, oh, we love this show. This is great. This is something different. But then we saw something that, in our hearts, grieved the Holy Spirit. And we're like, crap, we really like this show. Now, your conscience may allow you to watch it, and that's between you and God. Your convictions may allow you to watch it, but it didn't ours. And there's probably things that I watch that your conscience doesn't allow you to. So this is not comparing what those things are. And if you ask me what show was it, I won't tell you because that's not the point. The point is we have to allow our conscience and the convictions of the Holy Spirit lead us in the choices we make. And if Daniel and his friends chose not to consume food from the king's table, which the food itself was not bad, you and I must choose what we consume and what we don't, what we take in and what we don't. So you might make a choice, not that you let the world know, but that you let your house know we're making this decision about media because this is a way we can stand out. Parenting is a great way to stand out. You might teach your children 
about things like church importance over extracurricular activities. You might invest in relationships with your children more than you invest in them performing in school and sports and dance and all the other things that we force our kids to perform in. You might choose to make school choices that are based off your family's convictions and not care what the world thinks. You and I have to choose to stand out. If we do not stand out, the world will stay fitting in. If we do not stand out, people will not be called out from the world to trust in Christ. And I'll ask the worship team to come up, and if you could just kind of posture your hearts into a position of prayer. And if I could, we have your attention for the next seven minutes, and if you have a phone in your hand, could you just put it away? Uh, we, we as a church cannot meet today in this nation without mentioning something. And I mentioned it a bit in our 9 a.m. service, uh, but Christians are weird people. And I have watched for years and years and years and years and years and years and years of Christians complaining about their culture, which in many cases, rightfully so. And and so many Christian social influencers uh, came out to rightfully so um, attack and point out um, celebrities who dress like the devil and receive worship and sex acts from demons on a national stage in the Grammys. Yeah, that's evil. That's wrong. We call things out like this, and then uh, about two weeks ago, um, a, whatever the word means to you, a revival broke out in the middle of Kentucky. When the enemy riles up, God always has a response. You might not see it, but he does. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I saw so many Christian influencers who were like, how horrible the world is, we need revival, we need this, we need God. And the majority of them complained about the revival that happened. It doesn't have enough preaching. There's no flags. There's no charismatic gifts of the Spirit showing. It doesn't look like the revival I had before. We need to question if this is real revival. We don't know if these young people's hearts have actually changed. Here's a clue. You don't know if anybody's hearts have changed. That's up to Jesus. When thousands of young people travel from around the world to show up in an old wooden chapel and somberly and quietly worship the name of Jesus, when it starts with people repenting of sin and confessing their sin publicly and prayer is happening and people are sharing testimonies of how Jesus changed their life, are we going to freaking criticize that? Because we do. You must choose and find ways to stand out. And so these young people, it started with like 12 of them, started confessing, repenting, praying. And it spread to thousands and thousands and thousands, so much so that every national news media has to say, what's happening here? That is what standing out instead of fitting in looks like. That's the practical outpouring of that idea. Think critically. Be discerning. Test the spirits. Have concerns. But don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the process. Don't say that something that Jesus is doing is something the devil is doing, because that's what blasphemy actually is. Find ways to stand out. Don't be on the wrong side of history about this. Ask the Lord, Lord, how can I stand out this week? Even your presence here is a way you're standing out because you chose not to sleep in today. You chose not to be watching 
um, it's the lull in sports right now, but whatever sport is playing in February, um, you chose not to do it. <laughs> Football's done. Baseball's coming. I could care less. Uh, <laughs> you, you chose to be here. It's, it's a way that you show. You showing up at church, it's the, one of the loudest messages you could send to your kids. But this is what we do. So stand out. Don't fit in. Would you stand as we pray? God, forgive us for our stupidity. Lord, if there be any sin, anything in our life that we need to confess before you, maybe even confess to a loved one or to repent of, Holy Spirit, convict us of that and give us the strength to walk in truth and in the light. God, help us to truly choose to be in this community but not be of it, to be with people, but not become people who don't know you. God, help us to separate ourselves, to be holy, to set ourselves apart in decisions that we make and in choices that we push into regarding standing out and fitting in. God, would you break down our arrogance Will you break down any air of superiority that we may have? God, you've already shared through this word by heart today from your word that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, Lord, may we humble ourselves before you and before the world and stand out in a new way of humility. God, we do ask for this, this revival that we just spoke of. Uh, Lord, have your way, have your will. You do you. Literally, you do you there. God, I pray against any self-righteous, arrogant leader who would try to hijack what you're doing there and ask everything that is done there and here and everywhere in between would be of you, from you, and for you only. God, if there's anyone who does not know you today, I ask that they would repent and trust in you for their salvation. In Jesus' name. We're going to have our altars open. If you just want to come and, and kneel before the Lord in prayer or worship as we sing, or if you'd like prayer um, from one of our leaders today to pray over you about anything at all, we'd love to pray for you. So if you just want to make your way up for prayer, make your way up for response, you can do that. And uh, Kara will dismiss you here in just a moment.